0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com.
1: And I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReal.com.
0: Today we're talking about Minute 12, which begins with Odin releasing the Destroyer and ends with Thor saying that Laufey has broken the truce. Once again, we're joined by Ashley Coffin from the MCU cast, and Ashley... When you're watching a movie, what are the kind of things you're noticing? Like, what are the things that kind of are going to be most in your head when you're watching a movie like Thor?
2: Oh, good question. Um, well, you know me. I love action. So I'm really into the action sequences. I Definitely. love stage production and cinematography. So colors, things like I have high expectations of my Marvel movies, especially the Norse mythology. So the what they're going to do with the scenes, the way that they place the characters, things like that. So I, I you know... I look for a lot.
0: Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Well, we're going to hear all about the kind of things you noticed, I noticed, Annie noticed, right in a moment.
1: We love having conversations with each other about Marvel and Thor and the MCU. We also love having conversations with you about everything going on. Join our Facebook group, the Marvel Movie Minute Podcast Executive Lounge. That's right. We are on Facebook. Just search for it and join us over there. We're talking about uh, everything Marvel, not just Thor. And we're also on Instagram and Twitter. If you head to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute, you can click on the link for the social of your choice. See you there.
0: So this moment, we really begin with our introduction to the Destroyer. And I have to ask you, Ashley, because I know one thing you talk about a lot on the MCU cast and on some of the other Stranded Panda podcasts are horror movies, and that you really love horror movies. And I think there's something so interesting cinemographically here because, you know, the Destroyer is basically like a good guy. He's – it, it's a, a thing, a robot that is helping kill the bad people, the, the Frost <laughs> Giants. But the way it's introduced in terms of like just this sort of half shot, you never quite see the whole thing. You see the flash of fire and literally the whole screen going bright white. And you kind of see the terror of the frost giants being mowed down in this way that almost feels sympathetic. I, I was getting kind of a like the introduction of the monster in a horror movie feeling for just these few moments. Did, did you get a similar feeling from that?
2: Oh, yeah. There's nothing positive. And no positive energy coming off of the destroyer. Uh He's even covered in spikes, and you know has hellfire coming out of his face. Um, You don't see that. His name is the Destroyer. (laughs) Yeah, I don't feel very safe with him. Not a cuddly (laughs) robot. He can't walk me to my car. No, he can't. (laughs) But you're right. The way that they introduce it is very movie monster, with just little glimpses of it at first. The music comes way up, very intense. And and so, why do you think Branagh chose to do that? Branagh really good with. The scenes, like, color, choice, like, the whole thing is telling the story through imagery. I feel like mm-hmm. he does that a lot, like, um, kind of like how we were talking in the last minute. Like, you'll see something that's supposed to be happy, but you'll feel like something's wrong, and that's basically because of what he's making you feel.
0: Yeah, to me, it, it really foreshadows that, uh, spoilers, you know, that the Destroyer is later going to be used by Loki in in really dangerous ways against our hero Thor. And, and to me, I, I just kind of get a sense, even just a moment of... This is a power that Odin has that can be terrifying. And, you know, it just kind of reminds you of this power in the wrong hands could be really bad. Andy, what about you? What would you going to take of seeing the destroyer for the first time?
1: It is this really terrifying suit of armor that it's it, – I, I the way that it's designed here is – Really just to to show how incredibly powerful this thing is. I mean, we've seen how powerful the frost giants are. We just watched what they can do. They're freezing stuff. They're they're very easily killing these on Harrier guards. And then this, this, you know, suit of armor, basically this giant walking suit of armor, walks out. And I mean, we even see a frost giant try to raise the casket of ancient winters up to it to blast it. But, I mean, that beam of fire just shoots out of the destroyer and just disintegrates the Frost Giant. I mean, it's it's insane how brief this scene is, but how much power you get that you sense that this thing has. It's it's incredibly uh, effective for, you know, the 10 seconds we have here.
2: Fades back into the shadows. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: the, the, that, um, I don't know what you would call it, but kind of like that gate, mm-hmm. the that they have here that it's behind the way that it kind of dissolves and then it reappears i think that's one of the coolest things that is in yeah. asgard i love it it's
0: such a good shot and and initially here in the script um it re- it's supposed to be released automatically sort of indiana jones like of the moment the casket's lifted off but in the movie it's when odin bangs his staff gungnir on the ground that it's released and and let's talk about that staff for a second because at this point if that staff was a DD weapon the like the list of things on your equipment sheet for D D are pretty long. It can shoot fire. It can control things. It can silence a crowd. It can release the destroyer. Andy, what's going on with his staff? Well, and it's it's
1: really a spear, right? I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. his weapon of choice. Is this is this incredibly powerful spear, Gungnir, that is also made of uru, just like Mjolnir is, and Gungnir can, as we saw earlier, it can create powerful energy blasts, summon lightning, destroy buildings, and wound other godly beings like the celestials. So I mean it's it is an incredibly powerful thing. Plus he can he can use it to to focus the Odin force which is uh I don't know some some Norse magic that Odin has. But there's a <laughs> lot of different things that that he can use Gungnir for. It's weird though how like the thing that i don't understand with this and again it just is this the way that they've decided to portray odin and his presence in the th- throne room and how he's kind of connected to everything in his palace i don't fully understand he struck gungnir on the ground earlier and it was just to silence the crowd but now somehow he's now able to strike gungnir on the floor and it releases the destroyer and i don't fully Understand, like, is there a button on the floor? And now he's like hitting the button to release the destroyer. Like, I don't, I don't fully get it. But it's almost like some some mental connection that he has when he strikes mm-hmm. it. I, I, I'm not exactly sure what they're, what maybe they're you trying have to, to say have there.
2: intent. Yeah, maybe to be exactly. thinking about what your gong means. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting right. too because if you think in most
0: of the time you hear stories about like great kings and their sons taking over, like or their children taking over, but often sons because yay patriarchy. One of the things that's often passed down is, like, you know, the sword of the king or the great weapon of the king becomes the weapon of Thor, you know, whoever it is. And so, interestingly, like, there's never a moment, I don't think, in any of the comics where Gung-nir, or Gungnir would become Thor's. Am I right there? And I think also with the mythology, it's, it's always Odin's.
1: It's always Odin's. And I think that they actually uh, – they talk about that in kind of a lot more detail, I think, in the comics uh, where Gungnir – everybody just like like with mjolnir it was enchanted to only be connected to its owner which again this just goes into a much more comic book uh, mythology <laughs> but gungnir everybody knew it was uh, it was odin's and that's kind of they said it's only his we don't have to worry about anybody else using it and so they right. just knew that it was his and supposedly like mjolnir no matter how far away it was from Uh, From Odin, Gungnir would always return to Odin's hands. We we never see it in the films, but that's Mm – it's the exact same thing in the film or in the stories.
0: And that may also be where – even though they're changing the mythology they're kind of honoring it because of uh, as we've talked about before in the mythology there's never thor is never going to take over from odin odin is immortal and going to be the all father forever and thor's the warrior of the gods uh and so he has his great weapon as well but there's never a sense of odin's going to pass things on to thor and so maybe that's also yeah. you know they just didn't want to make that drastic a change
1: yeah that makes sense uh so, just touching on the Destroyer one more time before we jump off of it. Uh, the Destroyer first appeared in the comics in Journey into Mystery, number 118. Now, it's interesting about it in the comics is that it needed a being. It was basically like an enchanted suit of armor, but it needed a being to come into contact with it and put their consciousness into it and then they would be running oh. the destroyer while it walked around and did all of the things that it was doing. In the comics in that first issue, Loki actually tricks a a, a human because it's the 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 destroyer is hidden in a temple on Midgard on Earth and he tricks a human into Finding it and thinking that he'll be all powerful and able to stop Thor and all this sort of stuff, and so this human puts his consciousness into the into the Destroyer and fights Thor, and eventually Thor gets him out and all this sort of stuff. But that was our introduction to it. To it. And so it's interesting hmm. that in the movie they've kind of left that whole idea of somebody having to put the, put their consciousness into this enchanted armor, and now it's just something that is, I guess, kind of controlled by whoever is ruling Asgard.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, which which helps to make you know definitely make sense for what we'll see much later with the destroyer, uh, yeah, and who right. who gets control. Uh, but yeah, the, as I as I mentioned, there's a one little cool shot of y- you blink and you miss it. But in between the the two shots of the whole screen going white as things get blurred, uh, do you remember the exact second it's at, Andy? Because you'll get to see the Infinity Gauntlet. It's just in, like, right. a nook. You see it for just half a second. <laughs> it's,
1: it's, yeah, seconds seven and eight, basically. You'll mm-hmm. see the Infinity Gauntlet, as we'll learn later, a fake one. And then right. across fake. from it, I, I don't know. I, I think what we're all thinking is it, it may be one of the other swords that is stored here. Like, maybe this one's the yeah. Odin sword. It,
0: it, it does remind me of that great moment in Ragnarok because it's, to me, I think by now we think of the whole MCU as being so perfectly put together and everything fits so well. And we forget, that you know especially when things were, even now not everything fits perfectly but like there were moments where where something was done in one movie and then maybe in a couple movies later they changed it and i think cuz now i see it and i'm like but wait a minute like in endgame they told us that the dwarf made it for specifically for thanos much later so that little Ragnarok moment if it's a fake is just a great way of being like yeah okay that doesn't actually fit canon never mind it was a fake Wait, <laughs> ignore all that
1: well, and it's – I think it's kind of a funny also nod. Again, we're talking about Ragnarok. But it's its kind of a nod to museums and the fact that, you know, people might be walking by and going, oh, this is such an ama- amazing piece of art without realizing that perhaps it's just a fake. You know, it might not even be the real thing. Yeah, so true. so true.
0: That's so a true. point. <laughs> so then we do get Thor, Odin, and Loki walking in and, like, they see the carnage. Uh, although everything is frozen – both the, the, the little parts of the bodies of the Frost Giants as well as one of the guards with his arms kind of hanging out. And I like it because, again, the Destroyer just helped our good guys. But you can just see all of them just look kind of stunned by the, the level of devastation that's happening here.
1: I was a little surprised. Well, I don't know. I I mean, one. Who knows how long it takes these three to get from the throne room down all the way into the vault. I mean, it could take, you know, it could be, you know, 20 minutes before they've actually entered. But I did wonder, like, they all took their helmets off. Like, they were ready for battle, essentially. If, if the destroyer was still battling, like, wouldn't it have been wiser for them to actually keep their helmets on when they came down here instead of taking their helmets That's
2: very off? very true.
0: I <laughs> mean... I think, think you. I think you're correct. <laughs> I also think the number of times that directors have realized that taking a very, very beautiful face and putting it in a helmet—like the number of bad excuses characters have for taking off a helmet so their pretty oh, face can be shown—is just so like through the roof. So you know, well,
1: as as uh, as Kyle and Rob just talked about at the end of uh, season three with Iron Man two, you know, why why would Ivan lift his face mask up right there just to say a quippy line? then then that's how they kind of get him it's like you know yeah they they do these things it's it's just one of those things mhm exactly exactly
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so then we get into this this great discussion which i think is just um we're really starting to see like the drama between thor and odin and and thor is just starting immediately with like the Jodenheim must pay and and i love this this line where he says that the the yoden must pay and then odin just responds so calmly they did with their lives and part of what I get here is that these two are seeing this so differently. In mm-hmm. in Odin's mind, these are three individuals who did this thing and they've been killed. And so it's over. Whereas for Odin, or for Thor, he can't imagine the idea that just three frost giants would act on their own. And him, this must mean that Luffy has broken the treaty. It must mean that all the Joden have done this. And so all of them must be punished. What what was kind of your take on their two different perspectives here?
2: It's interesting to see how Thor he, he's very upset for the loss of um Asgardian life as he should be but he you kind of see that he just thinks that the Frost Giants' lives are like worth nothing. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't and he's like oh we're going to take all of them out, you know, cuz these ones, you know, killed a you know, are Asgardian, you know, people. And uh yeah, it's very unkingly Thor. <laughs>
1: It's a an interesting moment that we have here, and it speaks to kind of just how headstrong he is. Also, you know, he um, thinks with his hammer, really. I mean, it, he's very much kind of that that war first, talk second sort of mentality.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that it's that war first, and the just the it must be all of them. You know, there's no sense of the individuality here, and i I love what we see of Odin because Odin sounds almost sad. You know, when he says they paid with their lives, and yeah. mm-hmm. What do you think Odin is thinking about how they got in here? Does he have any suspicions about what we'll, we may later learn or do you think Odin is just kind of just taking it in in general?
1: It's a good question. I'm I'm I always wonder it's like how I mean if if they got in here. I mean and we'll talk about this more in the next minute also just kind of the fact of how he's going to deal with it, but the fact that they did get in here, it's like he must be thinking about okay, so they they got in and and trying to piece together what led to this point like they obviously got not just into asgard but into the palace and into the vault which is like as we saw in that one minute where we flew down through the vents it's like in this enormous like cavern in a building that's essentially like hanging from the ceiling so it's like that's a pretty complicated place for them to sneak into um, so yeah I, I think he
2: sneaky frost giants yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> I wonder if they're like Iceman and they're like forming little ice bridges to and like just get up to it.
2: down.
0: <laughs> yeah, that could definitely be it. That could definitely be it. And I think the other thing is that what we'll really get here is I think you're right that uh actually that on some level like Thor's upset for what happened to the Asgardians. He he has the sense of wounded pride. I think though he's also just angry that his big day has been ruined and he just is mm-hmm. like he's in that place of I am angry and I want to punish someone. And so all the logical things Odin's saying are just going right out the window for him.
2: And Odin, he sounds so tired. Yeah. Like, he was almost ready to pass it all over. And then now he's like, oh, my God.
1: Mm-hmm. It's tired. <laughs> and it's also kind of just like very calm and pensive. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just I think there's something really cool about the way that he reacts. I just find it um like this moment this whole scene that we'll talk about today and tomorrow with Odin the way Odin and Anthony Hopkins is delivering the lines i it's just i don't know i i find it just like perfect delivery in this particular mm-hmm. scene
2: yeah he's amazing yeah it was such a good choice oh the the the, the yeah. whole casting like mm-hmm. kenneth i yeah, always go on a lot about um how it was very important to get two newbies like two pe- two actors who have never been seen before and and let them take this ride because so many people don't get it. You get these five top actors in Hollywood and they all keep getting to be the same roles, same roles. And when you do take risks, it can be magical. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think it's so true. Yeah. And we, I think we've talked about that as well, that, I don't see anyone else but Thor in, in Chris Hemsworth. I don't see anyone else but Loki when I look at uh, Tom Hiddleston in this. You know, they're just, they just so embody those characters.
2: Loki is my favorite in this scene, just his face. Yeah, so what, what do you think is going on behind
0: his eyes right now as he's just kind of watching them back? Because there's some great reaction shots that are almost non-reaction shots. And I think you can just see the wheels turning in his head. Mm-hmm. What, what's your sense you're getting as you're watching him do this?
2: Well, he's so uncharacteristically quiet. So if you could the the sipping tea meme is loki during this whole thing.
0: Oh yeah, that's
1: a great point. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's what I love about the way that this scene is played is like especially when you look back knowing what happens in the film he really is playing the observer. He's just seeing how all of the machinations that he's put into work effectively, um, how they're all coming together and, and see and mm-hmm. con- I, I don't know the way that I read it now is like he's constantly thinking like, OK, so this is how it's going to play. Like I, I don't know if his goal, and we'll talk about this a lot more, but was his goal for them to actually succeed, or was did he know the destroyer would kill them, and now his whole goal was to really rile up Thor? I, like I find it very interesting because I mean. If that's the end game, it works perfectly here. I mean, right. mm-hmm. and, and that look that he is that he gives like toward the end of this minute, about 53, 54 seconds with his one eyebrow kind of raised up as he's watching. <laughs> like that says everything about the way that he's just kind of listening and studying.
0: And one thing I'll say about uh, Loki in the Norse mythology. And I got this. um the Neil Gaiman version of The Mist is the one that I know best, but I have also online you can find some great translations of the both the Poetic and the Prose Eddas, which are kind of the, the most original documents we have. And in them, Loki often isn't a, like, he starts by planning out point A, and he already knows, you know, point X, Y, and Z. It's that he's incredibly opportunistic. He's very good at, okay, something went wrong, but he can immediately... Look at a situation and look at a new opportunity that's just popped up and figure out what to do in it. And and you're right. I mean, we never really get it answered. But the read that I get, at least, is that he's someone who he kind of wanted just to throw the stone in the pond and see what ripples would happen. And now he's like, oh, oh. Thor is acting very unkingly, and Odin is noticing this. More, like, there's a little bit of, like, the, you know, Mr. Burns finger thing that you can mm-hmm. see him doing behind his eyes. And I, I I don't know if he knew that that would happen <laughs> or if he's just is picking up on it right now. But I'm I feel making
2: like Thor look unworthy. Yeah, exactly. Making the you know? benefits. <laughs> Perfect.
0: And I think he's also probably recognizing, like, that by him being so quiet, he's also reminding Odin of... You know, there is someone here who isn't getting super emotional and flying off the handle. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. he's kind of playing both of them so well right now.
2: Like, hi, dad. I'm yeah. over here too, dad. No. Oh,
1: okay. Well, this is, and an, you know, coming, uh, coming so soon. I mean, within ten minutes of the first time that we met Thor and Loki, it was in this exact same spot in these exact same positions when Odin brought young Thor and young Loki down here to tell them the story about the Frost Giants, and so right. it's an interesting parallel that we have of that moment when young Thor is just like, I would. You know, I mean he's acting the warrior, right? I would strike them down and and he's basically saying all the same stuff and and Loki was just like, you know he didn't say much other than um you know, you know are are the frost giants still out there or he says something very much less aggressive than Thor, and so it's interesting <laughs> that there's so much still who they were all those years before,
2: right, great point,
0: and I think that's the other thing with Loki is I think it's very easy for us to think he's just full on in plotting mode. I think it may also be he's just as upset of being like, Dad. Look at Thor. He this is the guy you want to be king instead of me. Like Mm -hmm. I can see there being some moment also of maybe he's been planning the whole time, but maybe also this is where he's like, I'm so angry that this idiot brother of mine hasn't learned anything, but Dad still wants him to be king. All right, maybe now it's time for me. That you know, like the you. And I, or we talked last time about how Brana didn't answer those questions for Tom for Hiddleston. He just said, like, do, you know, here's all the questions we don't know. And I just think it's so brilliant the way uh, Hiddleston acts this part that you can just you know all these wheels are turning and we have no idea where exactly it is.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Love it. I love that. Now, this scene differs from the, the script in a couple of important ways. One of them is that in the original of the, the script, the Warriors three and Sif all go down with them into the, into this room. And then they only leave when or- Odin tells them to. And then they have this uh, Thor and Odin have this debate. What do you think it changes? Would it have been better to have them there? Did it matter much one way or the other?
2: I don't think it mattered myself.
1: Well, I mean, the one the one thing that it does do is it keeps them in the story more. And mm-hmm. because, again, as I said, because we had that big deleted scene where we actually were introduced to them, removed from before the coronation scene, it's hard to know who they are, right? Like, I, I don't have a good sense of who these characters are. Yeah. And so, um, again, I feel like it would have been weird if they were here, but we didn't have that introduction. But And, and so I guess I can see why they didn't include it. But to that end, if we had had that introduction, it would have just made sense that they were just, you know, regular warriors that that Odin relied upon.
0: Right. I could see that. True. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was really interesting is um, in that original, while they're in there, at one point, Fandral was supposed to say, I've never been inside the vault before. It said that the Tesseract was once held here. And to which Volstagg would then respond, the Tesseract, I thought that was but a legend. And... That's kind of interesting that this thing that has never been mentioned in the MCU before was then going to be uh, such a big part of our next movie, Captain America. And here I wonder, like, did was this one of those moments where uh, the larger MCU was like, hey, hey, let's plant one more Easter egg here and Branagh didn't <laughs> want that or vice versa? I, I don't know what happened there, but it's kind of fun to see, like, that they almost had that Easter egg for the whole next movie planted because I'm sure that would have sent fanboys just – Over the moon, all over again.
2: (laughs) I'm surprised they didn't do that.
1: Right. I mean, they still find a way to squeak it in right at the very end. (laughs) Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. All right. Well, anything
0: else? Um, We're again here kind of stopping right in the middle of this great debate. There's so much to talk about in the next minute. But any other kind of last things we want to say about this minute and what we saw?
1: The only other thing that I think is worth mentioning is uh, also from the script that Odin does call out that he says that the Jotuns believe that this casket of ancient winters is their birthright, Hmm, which uh, I Uh... I find to be fairly interesting because – He's the guy who took it from them and won't give it back <laughs> you know it's, a, it's it's an interesting thing. it's their birthright, but you know i I guess sure I understand if if their goal is to still just destroy all the nine realms with it, okay, I guess I can see why he would do it but but I do like that we actually get him saying that in the script
0: well, I think it also helps underline that that Odin has some sympathy for them here that he he thinks that the right thing was happened, and you know just in the movie, it helps you better understand why he doesn't want either Thor or Loki, to go kill all of them later, that he may have a sort of like, well, you know, they're bad, they're evil, but I can understand why from their perspective they're upset. But then as we've talked about as well, once now we've seen Ragnarok and we know that Odin actually was like much more colonizing and conquering and has a lot of regret about it, all those little things, just you see them in a very different light, I think.
1: The only other question I have is who put the casket of ancient winters back on its pedestal? I guess the destroyer does? It's it's there.
2: (laughs) It's true. Yeah, I think
0: so. I mean, like no one, no custodial staff has come through because the you know everything still looks pretty wrecked in terms of the ice and the bodies and things like that.
1: Right, right.
2: Um, Yeah, you're right. Yeah,
0: I I did also think that um, Brana found kind of a, a cool way to one thing we talk about a lot, especially in later movies and in non MCU movies, is How violence is portrayed in terms of blood and gore and stuff like that. And um, Ashley and I have had some famous disagreements because we are – I'm very anti that stuff. Ashley is like, give us all the blood and gore we can get. Um, (laughs) But I think what Brandon does here is something kind of cool of like we're seeing body parts here in this scene. But because it's all frozen, like I I feel like you can get away with showing a lot more destruction of, of people in battle than you could if it wasn't all like preserved in ice.
2: Yeah, uh, that and making them monsters mm-hmm. and doing that. That's also a, another way to slip through it. Definitely. Definitely.
0: All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Um, we will, as always, get uh, a lot more into this. We got Ashley for the rest of the week. And Ashley, I know you talked about your podcast you're on, but especially if you're talking about mythology. You are having a lot of fun talking about mythology on okay. Twitch. Uh, give us a little bit about that.
2: Um, me and Jeff Brandel from the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast are doing a bi-weekly live-only on Twitch show called Legends and Libations, where we pretty much pick a, a story from mythology and get drunk and tell you about it at the same time. <laughs> um, it's been pretty fun. We're starting back up, I believe, September 9th.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and I know your first one was about Norse mythology. Am I right?
2: Yes, it was about Smilnir. Awesome. Sleipnir, whatever the one, Loki's horse. Awesome. That was Jeff's Sleipnir, story. Sleipnir, yeah. <laughs> Sleipnir. I did the, the story of uh, Sif getting her hair cut by Loki. Awesome. So it was, but we're, we're trying to keep it up with like what's going on. I think our, our show coming back will be about um, food dogs from China oh, to cool. coincide with shang So that should be fun.
0: Nice, oh, nice. look forward cool. to hearing that one. It's yeah. a lot of fun on Twitch. If you ever want to check that out, please do so. Uh, well, thank you, Ashley, as always. Look forward to having you on the rest of the week. Andy, thank you so much. And to all of our audience, thank you all so much, and have a great
1: day. Until next time, true believers.
2: Bye.
0: Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride" by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.